scripture reading today is from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And the scripture reads, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord to us. Well, I am sure that I would take a poll this morning that most of us in here, when it comes to spiritual things, downplay the significance of dress and clothing. See, that's true because I can just look around the room this morning. But if we were honest, if we were honest, then we would admit that the way a, a person dresses communicates some very important things. This is particularly true with people who have to distinguish themselves professionally or officially, right? I mean, we expect firemen and policemen to dress a certain way. We expect uh, military servicemen and women to dress a, a certain way. We, we expect when we go to the hospital, we can tell the doctors and the nurses by the way they are dressed. In many circles, that is true also when you come into places of worship, the priest and the uh, pastor. We expect these people to dress the part, and thus we are reminded, therefore, of their official service and status. In fact, even in business and in the marketplace, we often hear the old adage, right, dress for success. It was Deion Sanders, the all-pro football player, former football player with the Atlanta Falcons, who said, you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. If you play good, they pay good. It's all about the way you look. It was Shakespeare who said that clothes make the man. How many of you knew Shakespeare said that? I didn't even until I looked that up. That's from Shakespeare. Clothes make the man. When I was growing up, if you saw a friend or someone who had on a suit, you thought immediately, you thought immediately that that person was either going to church or going to a funeral or both. Because the clothes communicated something and people just didn't walk around. Not where I was coming from. People just didn't walk around in suits. And you put on your suit is because you were wearing your Sunday best. Today, we downplay the significance of dress up, dressing up and putting on our quote-unquote Sunday best, and I get it. That's cool. Isn't that right, Brother Bynum? That's cool. <laughs> Nevertheless, beloved, there is something to be said for those who seek to have a dress that matches their calling. that would have a dress that matches what they have been called to be and called to do. And this is particularly true, beloved, in spiritual things. When the Bible wants to communicate to us the significance of the essential characteristics of the Christian life, 
Isn't it interesting that it does so in terms of how we dress? How we dress, the clothes make the man even more so. As our text will remind us this morning, the clothes make the saint. Last week, it was Pastor Phil, as he looked at verses 5 through 11, you might recall. Pastor Phil, what he did in a sense was he undressed us. He did it with grace and he did it with a smile like he always does. But if you were really paying attention, he was undressing us. Verses 5 through 11, the Bible reminds us of those things, or rather those articles of clothing, if you will, that we are to, as it says in verse 9, right? If you're looking at your Bibles, it's saying in verse 9, those things that we are to do what? Put off, right? Those things that we are to take off. Lustful and worldly behaviors and talk and lustful and worldly attitudes. These belong, the text says, right, to the old self. These belong to the old person. And, not, and they are not indicative of who you are in Christ. They are not indicative of your calling. They do not show rightly to the world and to your other brothers and sisters to whom you have been called and your service, and so therefore you ought to put them off. It reminds us that you don't want to confuse people by the way you dress. You are now in Christ. You don't have to dress like that anymore. You're in Christ. So the text reminds us, since you are in Christ, look like it. Since you are in Christ, dress like it. Since you are in Christ, therefore, put off those old clothes that belong to the world and put on Put on Christ, and the text says, and let him rule, right? Put on Christ and let him rule. Notice what it says in verse 12, right? Chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, Meekness and patience. Christ's beloved on the inside. That's what the Bible is saying here in, in summation. Christ on the inside results in Christ on the outside. Christ on the inside results in Christ on the outside. The point here is that if you are in Christ, you have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God in holiness and love, and therefore you are to look like it. And we understand that. We understand that, beloved. If you have been hired as a nurse, when it's time to show up for work, you should dress and look like a nurse. If you have been hired, and you have been called to be, and you have accomplished the status of a Navy captain, when it is time for the ship to sail, you should look like the captain. But, beloved, before we go any farther, Further, it is important to understand that it is not the dress that makes the calling. Okay? It is the calling that makes the dress. Okay? Understand that. Before we go any further, we need to establish that fact. Okay? It is not 
the dress that makes the calling. It's the calling that makes the dress. Okay? You can put on a police hat all you want to, but just because you put on a police hat doesn't make you a police. But if you are a policeman or a policewoman, then you are expected to wear the hat. And so it is the things of Christ, beloved. Because you have been called in Christ, that you are to put on Christian virtue. Because you have been called, because you have been called by love, because you have been called by God in his holiness, therefore you are to reflect the fact that you have been called. In fact, this morning I particularly prefer the way that the NIV and the NASB puts the order in the text. Right? Because verse 12 says, if you're looking at the ESV, verse 12 says, put on. Okay? And then it says, since you have been called in Christ, holy, held called by God, holy and loved. But I think a better understanding, a way to understand it is how the NIV and the NASB says it. Right? In chapter, in chapter 3 and verse 12, according to the NIV, the Bible says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, since you are God's chosen people, since he has loved you, since he has called you and elected you in love and in holiness, since now you have the calling Wear the clothes. That's what the New American Standard says too, right? So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. Put on. And so it is not that you put on first, and then therefore you know that you are called and chosen. It is that you have been called and chosen. That in God's holiness and his love, he elected you before the foundation of the world, as the Bible tells us, since God has chosen you and set his love and affection upon you and has been gracious to you, forgiving you of all your sins and calling you into his beloved community. Live like it. Walk it out. Put on the right clothing. You have been called, beloved. You are the elect ones, the text says. The elect ones. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, right? Even before he made the world, the Bible says, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before anything else, before he ever told you what to wear, he loved you. And he called you. And he set his affections upon you. In holiness and in love. Chosen by God. If you're chosen by God... <coughs> What does that look like? And the Bible says, the elect put on. <clears throat> Literally, the word there means clothe yourself. The elect clothe themselves. And what do they clothe themselves in? What the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. It says it plainly. Rather clothe yourself, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think how you can gratify the desires of the flesh. How should I dress then? That's what people often ask, right? Now, 
Christians and they want to go to church, one of the first things they do is they ask, well, how should I dress for church? People will call the church phone and they will ask the question, hey, you know, I'm visiting East Point Church. How should I dress? They'll go on the website. Many of you probably have done that. Go on the website to see, wow, okay, if I'm going to go to church this Sunday, how should I dress? Well, the Bible here tells us, beloved. The Bible here tells us, you want to know how you should dress when you come to church? There's a whole context of what the Apostle Paul is saying as he's writing to these Colossians that they're gathering together. The whole context here is the fellowship of the beloved. The whole context here is the gathering and the communion of the saints. How, therefore, should I dress when I come to church? Well, Paul says, put on compassion. You got to put on compassion. In other words, you ought to dress in a way that you are able to put yourself in other people's shoes so as to not judge them so quickly. When the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, it doesn't mean that there is absolutely no room for judge judging. It means that you are to judge compassionately, that you are to judge with sympathy, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And ask yourself, if I was in their position, how would I like someone to talk to me? How would I like someone to look at me? How would I prefer someone to handle and deal with me? When you come, you've been called by Christ, elect by God in Christ, put on compassion. And then he says, no, you're not finished dressing. You have to come, you have to put on kindness. Put on kindness. <laughs> Beloved, that's very simple. You have to be nice. When you come into the fellowship of the Beloved, you just be nice and be courteous and be good. You smile at one another. You help one another. You don't demand, but you seek to help and to give. You're kind. You're just nice. What do you put on? You put on compassion. You put on kindness. You put on humility. Don't get dressed and think you're finished before you have put on humility. Beloved, humility is simply esteeming others before and over yourself. Do you know that there is practically no book of the Bible that doesn't speak or address the issue of humility in some way or another? You know, that should be, that, that, that should be the, the kind of calling card of the Christian. You know, when somebody comes to you, you want to give them your business card, it should say, Mr. and Mrs. Humble. I am here to esteem you. I am here, as the Bible says in Romans, to outdo you in doing good for others, in esteeming others. I'm going to outdo you in serving you. I'm going to outdo your service to me. That's humility. It's not seeking the, the best seats and the best places. It is not seeking the first name on the line. It is not seeking the congratulations and the slap on the back. It is not seeking the applause. But it is putting forth others and esteeming them more highly than yourself. You get dressed, you put on compassion. You get dressed, you put on kindness. You get dressed, you put on meekness. Meekness simply means that you're not overly impressed with your own self-importance. You're not impressed with yourself. And therefore, you're not seeking for others to be impressed as well. You put on patience. Patience 
patience, bearing with one another's faults, suffering long, not impatient with God's work in the lives of others. As God is working in the lives of others and God is moving at God's time, he's moving according to his time clock. But what we do, we want to put others on our time clock, assuming that you must reach some level, this level of sanctification by this day. Or else, I don't know if I'm going to have a word with you, but I just may be through with you. Patience. Patience, beloved. Patience is bearing with one another in the work of God in each other's lives. I'm just looking for evidences of grace. That's all. It's evidences of grace. And that'd be small steps. It may be big steps. Today, there may be hardly no steps at all. And I want to bear with you and pray in compassion that you bear with me. That's what you put on. That's, what, that's how you dress. You want to know how you dress when you come to church? You put on compassion. You put on kindness. You put on humility. You put on meekness and patience. Beloved, you put on forgiveness. 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 I don't know how. I don't know how anybody can be a Christian clothed in Christ and not walk in forgiveness every day. How is it? Explain to me. Somebody, somebody explain to me how those who have been called from the foundation of the world and have been called in holiness and elected into God's love and have been forgiven of all their sins and God has brought them in the right relationship with them, whereby he has blessing them and walking with them, slowly sanctifying them on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, bearing with them and forgiving them of their transgressions. And they can walk around and not forgive others. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can come to church and there is somebody in the church that you are bitter towards. How you can walk in unforgiveness. Beloved, there, when you come into the fellowship of the brothers and sisters, there should not be a person in here that you turn your face from or avoid because you got bitterness toward them. Not a one! Because you are walking in forgiveness. I don't understand how people do it. I really do not understand how, how people do it because unforgiveness and bitterness doesn't hurt the person that you have the unforgiveness and bitterness toward. It hurts you. You're the one walking around like you just sucked on a lemon. You're the one that's walking around in bondage. You're the one that other people are seeking to avoid because they're afraid that as soon as they get in contact with you, you're going to dump on them. There is no reason for you and I to dress in anything but forgiveness. In fact, in fact, beloved, in fact, you are never more like Christ than when you are freely and joyfully forgiving. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. You do understand that? It means that you are forgiven and therefore you forgive. In fact, the Bible would say if you do not forgive, then you need to really examine whether or not you really understand that you have been forgiven. That's what it says, right? In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, this is not the only place. It says it in many places, but this is, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when you stand praying, forgive, forgive, forgive. 
if you, if you have anything against anyone, forgive, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. God's grace to us, beloved, is manifested in our grace to each other. And if you refuse to be gracious to others, then you need to stop and check whether or not you really understand and have received the grace of God yourself. When you get dressed, you put on forgiveness. But you're not finished dressing. You can have compassion, you can have kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness. The Bible says you're not finished dressing. You haven't completed the task until you have put on love. Right? Isn't that what it says? Verse 14. Above all these, above all these, put on love, which does what? Binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, beloved, is that belt that keeps your pants from sagging. You know, put on kindness, but it's sagging because you haven't put on your belt. You put on the shirt of humility, but it needs to be tucked in. And the only way it's going to stay tucked in is if you put on your belt. Love is the belt that holds it all in place. Love is the buttons. You have to button up your shirt that keeps it from flying off. It holds it all together. Love in that sense is like the overcoat that keeps everything in place and perspective, beloved. Love is what the church and Christians are first and foremost about. That's what we're about. That's what we're about, beloved. It's with Alan Jackson. Most of you don't even know who Alan Jackson is. It's cool. It's right down here from Noonan. Now you know. He wrote a song and sung a song called Living on Love. Living on Love. It don't take much when you got enough. Just living on love. That's what the church does, beloved. The church is living on love. That's what we do every day, beloved. We are living on love. We don't live on our fancy arguments. We don't live on our well-crafted apologetics or our high and impressive doctrinal clarity. All those things are fine, but we don't live on that. We live on our love for one another, beloved. This is how we get along. This is what binds us together. This is what holds everything in place. This is how we get along with one another. Because above everything else, we're walking in love. That's how we get along. That's how we have our unity. Because we're walking in love. Just consider this, beloved. Who couldn't, who couldn't get along with somebody who comes to church dressed like this? If you can't get along with that person, you need to check out how you dressed. That's why it says, above all, put on the boy, because this is what binds us together. This is our unity. This is the foundation of our community. Those who are properly dressed and have put on the overcoat of love, of love above all else. Want to know how you dress when you come to church? You put on Christ. You put on Christ. And as you put on Christ, therefore, beloved, let him rule. Let Christ rule. This is the nature of the Christians who gather together. Where is our dress properly and primarily displayed, beloved? 
It is primarily displayed in the house. We come together in our Father's house. And when we get together, the Bible says in verse 3 and 16, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one holy body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. If you got properly, if you got properly dressed, beloved, when you came into the place, then this is the place where you understand that Christ is in control that he rules, that Christ is preeminent. This is the point that the apostle has been making ever since the first chapter in the first verse. Christ is preeminent. Christ is on his throne. Christ rules. And nowhere is this more important to understand than in the household of God. Let Christ rule. And how does he rule? He rules with peace, right? He rules with peace. Most rulers, particularly kings and dictators, they try to rule and have power through threat and intimidation. Threat and intimidation. That's how they maintain their control. That's how they maintain their rule. We've seen that recently in places like Saddam Hussein and Fidel Castro, even in North Korea with Kim Jong-un and others. They rule through threat and intimidation. But the rule of Christ, beloved, is the rule of peace. The rule of Christ is the rule of peace. He does not come to threaten you, but he comes to bring you shalom, peace, and comfort in your heart. He comes to bring wholeness. Peace, beloved, is one of the key blessings afforded to those who are in Christ. It's one of the key blessings that is afforded to the community of God. It is the longing of every soul. And therefore, even before Christ left this earth, he promised his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 27, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's why the Bible tells us we have peace. In Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 1, the Bible says we have peace with God. This is the longing of the human heart. Our soul upon this earth doesn't long for the comfort and the quietness and the wholeness of life. And the Bible says, because you have been justified by faith, you now what? Have peace with God. Tells us that we have peace through the blood of Christ. This is the point in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 that Christ has been accomplishing on our behalf, that he accomplished on our behalf on the cross that through his blood he made peace for us. And the world, beloved, the world is full because it lacks peace. The world is full of schisms and prejudices and hatreds and strife. But such should not be the case in the household of God because in the household of God we have what the world lacks and what the world longs for, and that is Peace. We ought to let, therefore, Christ rule. The peace of Christ rule. Let peace have the final word, beloved. Let peace rule us. If Christ is to rule, then peace must also. And I think it's interesting that the Bible calls, you know, the house of God a house of prayer. Because you do know what the Bible says about the result of prayer. What is the fruit of prayer? Peace. 
And if there's no peace, it's probably because there's no prayer. But where there is prayer, the Bible says there's peace, right? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything pray. And when you have sincerely prayed, the Bible says that the peace of God will be your portion. And it reminds me, beloved, that peace can be forfeited. Peace is forfeited because we do not pray. Isn't that what the song says? What peace we often forfeit, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. When your heart is being anxious, when you are overwhelmed by tumult in the soul, when there are storms raging in your heart and mind, ask yourself, how sincerely have I been in prayer? And have I or am I forfeiting the peace of Christ? God's house is a house of peace. Because, beloved, it is a house of prayer. Peace can not only be forfeited. If you are not careful, your peace can be stolen. This is the, this is the point of the enemy. The enemy wants to come in, beloved, and do nothing more than to steal your peace with God. To turn your life upside down and cause you to take your eyes off of Christ and cause you to no longer have the rule of Christ, which is the rule of peace in your life. Get you not to pray and to steal your peace. Don't let the enemy steal it from you. Don't forfeit your blessing this morning, beloved. It is yours. Let Christ rule. And when Christ rules, the peace of Christ will rule also because the peace of Christ rules where the word of Christ dwells. How important is that? You're talking about the household of God which is a house of prayer, therefore is a house of peace. And what happens in that house is that there is the proclamation of Jesus. The preaching, the teaching, the singing, all in the name of Jesus. Where he rules not only through peace, but the Bible says here that he rules through his word. How are we assured? How are we assured that the peace of God will rule in our hearts? We're sure that the peace of God will rule in our midst when the word of God, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Right? Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. Dwell in us richly, abundantly. Because you do understand that the Christ in you, the Christ in you is nourished by the message of Christ to you. That's why we preach Christ. That's why if Christ is in you, you desire to hear Christ. Because the Christ in you is nourished by the message of Christ to you. And that's why when you come into the fellowship of the saints, you say, give me Jesus. I'm not getting Jesus out in the world. When I come here into the midst of the fellowship of the saints, I want the word of Christ to dwell in this place richly. 
God, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. This is what the Spirit of Christ does, beloved. The Spirit of Christ exalts in Christ. To have the Word of Christ dwell in us richly is to have the gospel of Christ preached to us consistently over and over and over and over again. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ have its preeminent role in the worship and the fellowship of the saints. This is, what, this is the point that the apostle is making. Don't allow worldly influences, worldly arguments, humanistic philosophies to come and have its preeminent role. Don't allow old traditions to have their preeminent role. The preeminent role in the fellowship of the saints is the word of Christ. Let that dwell in your place richly. In everything you do, in everything you do, whenever you gather for worship, Acknowledge the reign and the rule of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in the preachings. Let it dwell richly in the teachings. Let it be the subject of conversing. Let it be the source of correction. Let it especially be in our singing. Right? Paul says, don't just don't just speak to one another. And don't just preach the word to one another. But sing the word as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How, Paul? Well, in teaching and preaching, but especially in singing. Especially in singing. Because you do understand that someone has said that, that the songs that you sing are the theology that people go home with. I'm up here preaching and sweating through my suit and everything, but when you go out of here, you're not going to be reciting what the pastor said. You're going to be humming a song you heard. That's fine. That's fine. If you say the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance sometime this week. That's what Jesus promised, right? But we sing, beloved. And the reason we sing is because we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And there's something about singing that gets down into our souls and causes the, the words to dwell in us like nothing else. You know, I don't remember a lot of things. I barely remember hardly anything that I learned and when I was in high school. But boy, I can recite some Eric B. and Rakim still to this day. You understand? And I know I'm not alone. Because that stuff gets down in you. And that's why it is important that when the people of God come together, they sing. And what do they sing? They sing of the word of Christ, and they sing it richly. Sing the word in songs. In other words, beloved, we look to the word of God for the inspiration and direction. As the psalmist sung, so we sing. We sing the scriptures, sing the word of God. We don't just sing the word, but we sing creatively, right? In Psalms it says, but in hymns and spiritual songs that we are writing songs and we are writing songs and developing songs that point people to Christ, that lift up Christ, that make much of Christ and not ourselves. We sing as the word sings and we sing creatively as we produce faithful hymns and spiritually rich songs. But we sing also with thanksgiving in our hearts. We are thankful people. And it should be reflected in the songs that we sing. If a visitor comes into our midst, not only should they know that we love Jesus, but they should know that we thank God for him because of the songs that we sing. 
we sing with our hearts. Isn't that what the text says? We sing with our hearts. Beloved, we don't just mouth the words. But true worship comes from the heart. I mean what I'm singing. I don't always live up to it. And it may not perfectly reflect where I am this morning in my state. But when I read those words, I believe it. God knows I believe it. I'm singing with my heart. And if my heart must cry this morning, because those words of Christ break me, it is because I believe them. And I believe in Jesus and not myself. And so I sing from the heart. And we sing, beloved, with thanksgiving. We sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we sing to God. When's the last time you thought about that? And when you stand singing in the company of the saints that we sing to God. In other words, beloved, the congregation is not the audience. God is. And we are not here, beloved, to entertain one another. But we are lifting our voices and praise to God. We make our praise ultimately to him. And, and beloved, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like anybody else, okay? I want the music to sound good. And I want people who can really sing to sing loudest. But whether, whether or not the music sounds good to my ears, or whether or not those who sound good to my ears sing the loudest, what is most important is that you and I are lifting our voices to God. And if it's coming from the heart, beloved, whether you believe it or not, my voice sounds good in heaven. Because for whatever faults I have, Christ is making them up. And you want to talk about a sweet singer. He sings next to me. And when my voice reaches heaven, all that God the Father hears is my voice enveloped in Christ. And it is music to his ears. That's why you sing, beloved. You sing loud if you want to. Never mind the person sitting next to you. You're singing to God. And you're singing from the heart. And you can sing with all you have. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Right? That's what it concludes with. He says, the four, whether in word or deed, whether in the words you're singing or the service that you're rendering, whatever you are doing, it says in verse 17, here is the overarching and the bottom line. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is the bottom line, beloved. This is the, the Christian ethic. This is, this is where we live. If you want to know, if you want to know, should I do that, just ask yourself the question, can I do it in the name of Jesus? If you can do it in the name of Jesus, go for it. If you want to know whether or not you should say it, Ask yourself the question, can I say it giving thanks to God? 
And if you can say it, giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus, then you shout it. What is word? What is deed? You can do whatever you want to do, beloved. As long as you're able to do it in the name of Jesus. As long as you're able, if you're able to do it, every step you take, giving thanksgiving to this is the message of Colossians up to this point. This is going to be the message of Colossians going forward. If you want to know what Colossians is all about, it is all about giving praise to God and giving praise to God through the name of Jesus Christ in every word and in every deed. Christ is all. Christ is everywhere. Christ is all the time. Whether it's in church, whether it's home, it's to the glory of Christ. Whether it's at work, whether it's at play, it is to the glory of Christ. Everything, all the time, I am seeking to understand how can I do this for the praise and the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Be thankful to God for it. Christ is all. Christ is in all. And that's why when you come to the church, beloved, here at East Point Church, it is our desire for not only the peace of Christ to rule, but for the word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to dwell in this place richly. We preach Christ. We sing Christ. We pray Christ. Because it is our desire to live Christ. Because we have put on Christ.